0: We finished up Hebrews uh, the last time I preached, and so I have been struggling in a sense <laughs> with, uh, with the idea of where the Lord wanted us to, uh, to proceed to next, and uh, through some thought and prayer and et cetera, I've kind of concluded that he wants us to jump into the book, The Gospel According to Mark, Okay. Uh, a lot of you have been here for many, many years, and you're aware of the fact that I basically have preached through the whole New Testament at least once, you know, at this point in some of the books I've preached through uh, more than once, Hebrews being one of them, uh, and that sort of thing. I wish I could say the same thing from the Old Testament, but we have done some of the Old Testament, not near as much as the New Uh but I have chosen to go to the, the gospel according to Mark uh, as our next study. So we're going to be picking up there this morning uh, and looking at the first 11 verses. Perhaps uh, we may not get all the way to 11, but uh, we're going to start working on this gospel according to Mark uh, this morning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came to or came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. I don't know how much uh, you yourself have studied the gospel according to Mark. Uh, I think, unfortunately, it may be the gospel out of all four that maybe gets the least amount of attention because there's a lot of parallel going on between it and Matthew. follows a lot of the basic, same basic patterns uh, as, as Matthew. But I, if I were to ask you this morning, what is your favorite gospel? I would imagine some of you have, and I can tell you what my favorite gospel is John. I love John upside down and backwards. I could do nothing but preach on John for the rest of my life. <laughs> I would imagine for some of you it may be Luke or maybe Matthew, but I would imagine that probably there, there may not be a single person in here that would say that the gospel of Mark is my favorite gospel. Now maybe wrong. Is there anybody in here or wants to raise their hand? See? But the fact of the matter, it's here. It's here for a reason. It's here because God wants us to study it. (laughs) And so that's what we're going to do next. It's the shortest gospel, so it's not going to take us years like it it probably did the gospel according to John and and Matthew and, and Luke as we did those. Uh I mean, it is, you know, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of parallelism that goes on between it and Matthew. The difference between the two is Matthew gives a lot more details when it comes to particular things than Mark does. Now, as far as Mark goes, we do know something of Mark. I mean, we don't know something of, of all the authors of biblical books, but we do know something of Mark. We know that he was Barnabas' cousin. We know that he uh, he accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey to a point, but then there was a division, and, and Mark left and went back, uh, and then it, and it left division between uh, Paul and Barnabas because they were preparing to go on their second journey, and Barnabas wanted to take his cousin Mark along, and and uh, Paul wanted nothing of it, and so it you know it, it drove a wedge between the two of them, and they went off in their own on directions. He begins, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Gospel simply being translated uh, into English as good news. So one of the things we should grasp from this gospel from the very beginning is that everything that follows is good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of God in in relationship to the one and only means and ways of salvation for us. But I would say to you this morning that it's only good news to those people who embrace it. Who accept it, who lay hold of it, who lay claim to it. One of the things that is very clear uh, in these beginning verses of Mark, uh, as the, the ministry of John the Baptist first and then Jesus who follows is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It's one of the focal points you'll find with this particular gospel is it's 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 drawing from scripture and showing how scripture is being fulfilled in particular things, particular ways. In this particular uh, example, it's a fulfillment of, John, or of Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Specifically, and in, in, a, in another manner, Isaiah 40, chapter 3. I just bring to your, the, your attention uh, this, and that is what, what Mark teaches us is scripture based. All of it. He's not telling us what his opinion is. He's not telling us what maybe the general opinion is of some of the religious leaders of the day. He's telling us from the very beginning that Jesus' coming is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. That Jesus came for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons he came is because God declared that he would come. And he made that known to people for a long time before Jesus ever appeared physically in the picture. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We know that John is describing in scriptures as being you know, this, like the second Elijah to come. That's what's prophesied. Now people may be surprised by this, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What people might expect would be Preaching a a baptism of faith in Jesus Christ. That's not what it says. Saying here that the beginning is repentance and forgiveness that comes as a result of it. Now let me tell you something. Faith is in the picture here. You may have heard this said before, and that is that the the faith and repentance are like two sides of the same coin, that you can't have one without the other. That wherever there is repentance, there is faith, and where there is faith, there is repentance. I wanna remind us of a few things this morning. Uh, the true evangelism is always a dual effort between a disciple of Christ and the Holy Spirit. Makes it very different than any other kind of activity that we might enter into. And that's not just sometimes, it's always. It's always a joint effort on the part of the Holy Spirit and a disciple of Christ that we understand this that ultimately it's the holy spirit's work we're just working in partnership with the holy spirit invited to do so actually commanded to do so but given a great privilege of joining with god himself and sharing the good news of the gospel with other people And I want us to be reminded of a few things. The Holy Spirit prepares the heart, mind, spirit, and, and spirit of the listener to receive the message. The Bible tells us that we have to be born again. Not born again we have no interest in the things of God. He has to bring a dead person to life. And only he can do that. Conversion and discipleship are ultimately the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's always been true. It's not just a New Testament phenomenon. It's true in the Old Testament too. One of the big differences between the Old and the New is the Holy Spirit comes more into the picture in the New Testament than you see in the Old Testament. But he was always there. He's always been part of the picture. One of the things you're going to see in in Mark's gospel is is, is a constant uh, reference to Old Testament scriptures that were fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Really, pretty much everything he says is scripture-based. There's a foundation for it. Like we've already said, the Holy Spirit is very up front and in your face in the New Testament, not so much in the Old Testament. We have to understand something. That the Holy Spirit was with Isaiah. The Holy Spirit was with Malachi when they were prophesying these things about the Christ to come. And it helps us to understand our role as far as evangelism goes. In evangelism, basically, we are simply God's mouthpiece. He's speaking through us. The Holy Spirit must prepare the heart, mind, and soul of the listener to receive it. That's his part. We can't do it. You and I cannot convert anyone. We couldn't even convert ourselves. People apart from Christ are described as being dead in their trespasses, and dead people can't do anything but be dead. Nothing else. They can't breathe, they can't speak, they can't see, they can't hear, they can't do anything. They are dead. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, became of the great love with which he loved us, Because of the great love which which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. Who gave us life? God. That's true now. It's always been true. John was true in his calling. He did what God called him to do to preach the baptism, repentance for forgiveness of sins. And we're told here that all of Judah, the whole land, was going out to him. We need to understand that John's ministry was a very far-reaching and effective ministry, that he touched a lot of people. Now, we understand this, that sometimes scripture actually does exaggerate things. You realize that? Uh, and you and I do the same thing. That sometimes when we say all, oh, we really mean all, but other times when we say all oh, is basically just a whole bunch or, you know, whatever. We don't literally mean all. Okay? Okay need to understand the same thing is true in Scripture, that sometimes we have to interpret it to mean absolutely everyone, no doubt about it. But other times, because of the context, we see that that's not what is meant literally. That maybe a better translation of it would be a great many or a great bunch or lots of people. But there were a lot who were responding to the message that John was preaching, and they were baptized by him as a result of it, which was not entirely a New Testament con or, or, or idea. And we know that baptism is the application of water for the purpose of cleansing. And, then, and when we're talking about as far as in, uh, Christian baptism, it's symbolic of being cleansed from our sin. Actually, Paul introduces the idea that baptism is not entirely a New Testament concept. That there was, was a sense in which the Israel underwent a baptism When it crossed through the parting of the Red Sea. We know this. We use water all the time for cleaning. I mean, when you wash your dishes, what do you wash? When you wash your body, what do you wash your body with? We understand that water is many things, but one of the principal things it is is a cleansing agent, a cleaning agent. That one of the things that symbolized in baptism is the washing away of sin and its corruption. Blood was a cleansing medium in Old Testament sacrifices and on the cross. There's a sense in which water has replaced blood in the New Testament. You ever heard of blood baptism? phrase that was passed around in the church for some time years ago but it was a sense of the baptism the martyrs underwent when they were killed for their faith one of the things that, that Marx makes clear here is that uh that the coming of John is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And I don't know if you've noted this before, but if you read the description of John the Baptist that you find here in Mark 1.6 and the one that you find of uh, Isaiah, Elijah, not Isaiah, sounds a lot like John the Baptist and vice versa. Clearly, John the Baptist is the fulfillment of Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. John the Baptist being a fulfillment of that prophecy of Elijah to come. And what was John's job? It was not to receive greatness and grandness and glory for himself. His whole purpose, God's purpose in sending him was to shine a spotlight on Jesus. To cause everyone's attention to bear on Christ. And what did John preach? After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will do what? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. From John, the Gospel of John. And John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. For this purpose I came baptizing with water that uh, he may be revealed to Israel. He also says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That is John's message over and over again. I don't know about you, but uh, it really would be nice. Maybe terrifying and (laughs) certainly awesome and all that other stuff. Just to hear that voice just one time. I really am here. I mean, God speaks. He's been speaking since the very beginning of time. How did he create? God spoke. God said, let there be light. Guess what? There was light. God spoke directly to Adam. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. God blessed Noah and his sons and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country to the land I will show you. God said to Abraham, Again, take now your son and go to Mount Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. God spoke to Jacob. God called to Moses. The Lord spoke to Joshua. The Lord called to Samuel. God spoke to our fathers by his prophets. uh, But God spoke to our fathers by his prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, which we just went through. See, God's been speaking all along. The big problem is there are a lot of people who are not... Hearing. Listening. Now, I don't know about you, but I would give, well, there may be a few things I wouldn't give, but just about anything. Just to hear God say, no. <laughs> wouldn't that be neat? Just to hear that voice, just one time. You, see, we ex- you know, we would long maybe for God to speak to us. All. I'm, I, my thing is this, is once we hear the voice of God, we might be saying, whoa, baby. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle that. But it would be kind of nice to hear it. Just to hear his voice once. Sometimes we look at these things and we say Adam had a great advantage over us Moses had a great advantage over us Elijah had a great advantage over us and there may be some truth in that but reality is I would say to you this morning that we actually have a big advantage over all of them Because they had just a little bit of the counsel of God. You and I have the whole counsel of God. In other words, God has spoken to us a whole lot more than he spoke to any of these other people. At least as far as the Bible records it. God is speaking to us now. One of these days, we will actually hear God's voice with our own ears. And what's he going to say? Well, we already know some of the things he's going to say. One of those is this. Come, you who are blessed by my Father... Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I don't know about you, but my faith is not perfect. There are times when I feel like my doubts are going to overcome my faith. But it will not always be that way. I long for the day, and I know you do too, when every vestige of doubt that I have will be gone. Forever, we have a heavenly war that awaits us. But I want to challenge us with this idea this morning is that our heavenly reward may not be exactly the same as everyone else's. I mean, we will all have heaven. If we have faith, true faith in, in Jesus Christ, and we are repentant of our sin, we will have the new heavens and the new earth. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the new heavens and the new earth are going to be exactly the same thing for all of us. There's a ground for thinking that in scripture. It's not just something I come up with Matthew chapter 16 verse 27 for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done heaven will be our reward what I'm I'm suggesting this morning is possible that heaven is not going to be exactly the same thing for each one of us it's going to be great and wonderful and good My problem, one of my biggest problems myself is I, I, I so easily settle for little. It doesn't take a whole lot very often sometimes to satisfy me. But when it comes to the things of God, we need to hunger more He's worth it. He's worth every effort, every prayer, every moment. And I think one of the dangers of living in the, the day that we do is as people get older or they begin to develop the retirement mentality I see that in myself. It's kind of the mindset that I've put my time in and now my time really is more to be used for the things I want to do and not dictated to me by an employee or what I have to do and uh, how I spend my time and that sort of thing. But I just want to suggest this morning that maybe we, we do retire from our worldly professions or vocations But we never retire as Christians. We never retire as church members. You and I are called daily, moment by moment, to be about our Father's business. And that never ceases. It never stops. We never retire from that. And it's what he deserves. Our full and absolute devotion, first and foremost to him. So, what are we to do with all of that? Are we about our Father's business? Do we approach life with that being the basic, most fundamental driving force behind everything? He's worthy. more than worthy. Everything.